listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Have you ever thought about selling your business? Even if you're just getting started, beginning with the end in mind is an important part of the long-term success of your venture. In today's episode, I'm talking with Michelle Seiler Tucker. She is the author of the book Exit Rich, and she also has the greatest close rate for selling businesses in the United States. Only the best for you, creating a brand. Throughout this episode, Michelle explains how we can experience more streamlined success in our businesses by developing our exit strategy from day one. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 081. And now get ready to learn a lot from a brilliant business mind. Here is my conversation with Michelle Seiler Tucker. Michelle, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thank you for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. I first off want to say thank you for giving us the time today. I know that you have a completely packed out schedule, but when I explain who the listeners are to you, you are very interested in coming on and adding value. So I want to thank you in advance for that. Today, you're going to share some high level points from your book, Exit Rich, which by the way, I love the title of, and the content definitely didn't disappoint either. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud of my co-author because my co-author is Sharon Lecter, who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. And she's been New York Times bestseller, selling author seven times. Plus, she wrote several books in the uh, Napoleon Hill Foundation, which is Think and Grow Rich. So she's my co-author. She's a CPA. So she has a mentoring corner that you've seen at the end of every chapter. And, um, you know, she she brings in that financial expertise And um, she's also a financial literacy expert. Plus, she's been an advisor to President Obama and several other presidents, which which is fascinating. And her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So I got I kind of got two for the price of one. You know, really. I mean, obviously, it didn't cost me. She's my co-author, but it's great because he added content in there too. And so, somebody who's been in the trenches for twenty years, selling over a thousand businesses with a CPA and with an um, IP attorney. Very cool. I love that. So t- today you're, you're definitely doing us a huge favor by talking to us about how to, how to plan an exit strategy. And I explained who the listeners are to you. So we're also doing you a bit of a favor because these are your favorite people to sit down with. Uh, the Creator Brand listeners, many of them are early on in business. I know that you told me that's people you love to sit down with to start educating them from day one. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to start off by just asking the question, when should we start thinking about our exit strategy? From the day you begin. The day you begin and nobody does it because nobody thinks about it. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I got to, you know, I got to I got to put together my business plan. I got to put I got to do due diligence. I got to get my money. I, You know, all the checklist is pretty long. So the exit is never on that checklist. Um, and it needs to be because eight out of 10 businesses won't sell. According to Steve Forbes, who also endorsed Exit Rich, eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. And the reason they don't sell is because business owners don't plan their exit. They don't think about selling until they have to due to a catastrophic event occurring, um, whether that's internal or external, you know, COVID. Um, And then by that time, the business is typically not doing well. It's usually trending downward, and that's the worst time to sell your company. Definitely. You know, this actually makes me think about my time in the aerospace industry before I was doing podcasting and my SaaS startup Podmatch. When I was there, I can remember we would regularly see companies that we'd work with listing themselves for sale. And it was always premature. It was very rarely someone was just in a good spot and ready to, to sell. It was because they were being forced to. And what I mean by that, there was two commonalities we find. The first one was they had wrong relationships with their customers. We'd find companies that 
they would have like a stellar salesperson, just somebody who was a rock star who had built all the relationships. And when they decided they wanted to leave that industry, whether it was retiring or moving to another company, they would lose their customers because customers were really just there because that one person. And that was a really dangerous thing that we saw happen a lot. And then on the flip side, we'd see the, the owner want to take less of a role in the organization, whether that means retiring or just going part time or working on something else. We'd find that they actually had all the processes for how that company ran in their head. All the documentation was just their brain instead of actually documented along the way for other people to be able to follow. So no one knew how to do the business except for that owner. And it was really sad because we'd always see these businesses would sell for far less if they'd sell at all even, but they'd sell for far less than what was originally the anticipated amount that the owner would want for it. And I, I know I just said a lot there, but I say this because it's really important for us as entrepreneurs to start thinking about exiting our businesses from day one. And yes, I know there are babies, right? This is We're building this because we love it, because we want to. But we need to start thinking about selling it now because at some point our perspective is going to change. And that's the right way to really properly run a business. It is going to change. And you know you have to plan for it. And what shocks me in America, nobody plans for their largest asset. Your business is your largest asset in most cases. And nobody plans it. But if you have a baby, a real baby, you plan for that baby's future. You plan for where that baby's going to go to preschool, where they're going to go to elementary, high school, college. You know, a lot of parents plan on what they're going to be, what their children are going to be when they grow up, who they're going to marry, how many grandkids they're going to give them. But you never plan for your largest asset. You never think about it until you're burned out, until you've had enough, you're tired, until a catastrophic event has occurred, like partner dispute, divorce, health issues, um, COVID. And then by then, like I said, it's too late. So when you go in business, ask yourself this question. If you go in, when you go in business or, or buy a business, ask yourself, what is my end game? What do I want to sell this business for one day? It might be 20 years from now, but ask the question. You'll thank yourself later. If you say, okay, I want to sell my business for $20 million. Okay. $20 million. It's just like a GPS, right? When you want to drive somewhere and you don't know where you're going, you pull out your little phone, you plug in your destination, your GPS already knows where you're starting from. And then they're going to plan the quickest path to get you from where you are to where you want to go. Same thing with a solar Tucker GPS exit model. Plug in your destination where you want to go, what, you, what your end game is, $20 million, right? Reverse engineer it. Nobody reverse engineers anything. Reverse engineer it and then say, okay, where am I starting from? If you're starting from a million, or you might be starting from ground zero. Say, okay, let's say I'm starting from a million and I own a manufacturing plant. So if I want to get from a million to a $20 million company, what's my time frame? Let's say seven years. Seven years. Who's my buyers? Who are my buyers going to be? There's five types of buyers. Okay, first-time buyers. First-time buyers are not buying a $20 million engineering, I mean, a $20 million manufacturing company. So you can scratch them off the list. Who else is my buyers? Private equity groups. They buy platforms. They buy based on add-ons. So you need to know what is a private equity group's criteria. How do they buy businesses? What's their gross revenue criteria? What's the cost of goods? What's their EBITDA? Most important number is EBITDA. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. What is the EBITDA requirement? And does a business run on all six cylinders, all six Ps? So you need to know what your buyer's criteria is so you can build the business to suit their criteria. There's also sophisticated, and strate um, I'm sorry, strategic and competitive buyers who would also be a good fit for a $20 million manufacturing business 
because they buy synergies. Okay. So then you have to ask yourself after you determine your desired sales price, your current valuation, your time frame, who your buyers and what their buying criteria is. Now your why. Why do you want to sell a business for $20 million? Because let me tell you something. If you don't have a powerful why, you're never going to stay in the game. That's right. If it was easy to sell a $20 million company, we would all be doing it. Everybody would be doing it. <laughs> I would, <Right>? yes. <laughs> so you so you really have to have a strong, powerful why because you're going to have a lot of roadblocks. You're going to have a lot of obstacles. You're going to have a lot of, you know, um, unforeseen circumstances that come. And you you got it. Your why, your why has to be so powerful that it keeps you in the game. Absolutely. So that's determine your destination, which is the desired sale price. You mm -hmm. want knowing your current location, so where you're starting, which is your valuation. And most business owners have no idea what their business is worth. Yeah, so then it's identify who your buyers will be, uh, know your time frame, and determine your why, which is extremely important. But I, what I really like about this approach that you're talking about, where you're talking about starting with an exit strategy, is it really gives you, like you're saying, a roadmap for where you want your business to go. Instead of just running aimlessly, like I hope it does well, it can actually help you to forecast and figure out where you want to go. Um, so I definitely want to jump into these six P's that you hinted at. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about something you mentioned in chapter three, which is you had it titled, what kind of business are you? Can you talk about this for a minute? Yes, of course. So there's different types of businesses out there. And, you know, you have to identify what type of business you are. People can go, your listeners can go to SilerTuckerAcademy.com and take the quiz. What type of company do they own? Um, so there's small businesses and these are your coffee shops you know, your cafes, your small retail stores, uh, maybe dry cleaners, things of that nature. And these businesses are dependent upon the um, owners. They might have two or three, four or five, six employees, but they're really dependent upon the owner. You take the owner out of the business and there is no business, right? And then you have um, the one woman, one man show. This is what, this is, these are businesses that are very difficult to sell. Let's say there's a dentist, a, dent, uh, a dental practice. One dentist, one dentist, been in practice for 20 years. That business is almost impossible to sell unless he gets another dentist in there training under him. And that dentist buys the practice or we sell it and the dentist agrees to stay on for so many years to ensure a smooth transition. And that could be a dentist, that's a chiropractor, that's, a, that's an MD, that's a real estate agent, that's an interior decorator, that's a photographer, that's an uh, insurance appraiser. I mean, I can go on and on and on. That's a one-woman, one-show business, and those are very hard to sell. And then you have your um, slightly, you know, a um, little bit larger businesses in your cafes and restaurants that maybe have 15, 20, 30 employees, maybe doing around 1 million to 2 million. Um, the owner is still involved in the day-to-day -day task, but maybe not as involved in some of the small businesses. And then you have your medium-sized businesses that have been around for a long time, for many years, and the business is not as dependent upon the owner. They do have employees in place, um, and they're a little bit more stable than some of the other businesses. Uh, because think about it, if, if that dentist has a catastrophic event occur, he's out of business. Right. Any of those businesses. And then you have your larger businesses that have been in business for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. They are well machined. They have employees in place and they're typically doing over a million in EBITDA. Right. Those are the different types of businesses. So in this part, you actually ask this question. You say, what business are you in and what business should you be in? 
So it's, you yes. have a difference between those two saying, okay, this is what I'm doing, but what should I be doing? Can you explain kind of the story that you used in this? Yes. And I, you know, I love, I, and, and I get, and I did ask it in that chapter, but you know, what's funny is as I've been doing these podcasts and radio shows and TV interviews, um, I really been asking those questions under the second P and that second P is product, especially after COVID because product, you have to ask yourself, is your industry thriving or is it dying? Dying. Do you have a do you have an Amazon in your hands or do you have a Blockbuster? Amazon is thriving, a Blockbuster is dying. Which one do you own? And then you should always ask yourself, especially if your business is dying, you need to ask yourself, what business are you in and what business should you be in? Let me give you a couple of examples to illustrate this point. Amazon. When Amazon started, what business were they in? They were a bookstore. They were in a book business. And they asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're in a book business. And they asked themselves, and every, every owner should ask themselves this question. What do we do really, really well? What are we best at? What is our core competencies? And they came back and said, you know what? We're really good with fulfillment. That's what we do really, really, really well. So then the follow-up question is, what business should we be in? So what business are we in? We're in books. What did we do really, really well? We do fulfillment really, really well. What business should we be in? We should be in fulfillment. Those three questions right there took Amazon from a bookstore to a conglomerate. And I'll give you another example. One of my favorite examples is McDonald's. Have you ever watched the movie The Founder? I've not. You should. Everybody should go watch the movie The Founder. So the McDonald brothers. The McDonald brothers had a small business. You know, they had a small business with so many employees. Ray Kroc came in there and is the one who developed McDonald's into what it is today. So Ray Kroc, you know, went in, started the franchising um, department, etc. He ended up taking a loan out against his house. He was over leveraged. He was making no money. He was back in the bank trying to borrow more money. And the banker's like, I can't lend you any more money. You're already upside down. And this gentleman that was in another cubicle that was also a client of the bank followed him out and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And Ray said, sure. He said, what business are you in? And Ray looked at me and goes, I'm in the restaurant business. And the gentleman said, no, that's not the business you're in. What business are you in? And Ray's like, I'm in the restaurant business. And he said, what business should you be in? And Ray goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, you need to be in the real estate business. You need to buy the real estate up. You need to build the McDonald's. You need to get a franchisee in there lease to them when they're non-compliant because the whole issue with Ray is, is, is franchisees were non-compliant. They weren't paying him. When they're non-compliant, you kick him out and you bring another franchisee in. Those two questions right there took McDonald's from almost filing bankruptcy with Ray Kroc into the world's largest holder of real estate to this day. They are the largest and Steve Jobs did the same thing when he came to Apple. When he came back to Apple, remember when he left Apple and he came back to Apple? He said, what business are we in? And they said, we're in a computer business. We're in a technology business. He said, no, we're not. What business should we be in? What do we do really well? We need to be in the communications business where everybody connects. We're in a connecting business. And that's what developed the iPhone, the iPod. So that's a big question that all owners should be asking themselves. We'll get right back to today's episode, but first, can you do two things for me? 
First, if you're enjoying this episode, please share it on your social media or share it directly with somebody that you know that would also benefit from listening. Secondly, please visit creatingabrand.com slash free to join the Creating a Brand Inner Circle. This is where I share exclusive content, including online courses, how-to videos, and other resources focused on helping entrepreneurs go further faster. By doing these two things, you are helping me reach and serve more people. So thank you in advance for your support. And now let's get back to today's episode. I'd like to transition this conversation into talking through the six P's of business that you hinted at early in our conversation. Now, I know that these six P's are what you consider to be the most important part of a business. And Michelle, I know that your company actually reviews each of them in detail during the evaluation process of a business when determining its value. To give the listeners today a little bit of an overview, I'm going to quickly share all six of them. They are people, product, process, proprietary, patrons, and profits. Michelle, can you cover each of these in detail for us today? So the, the number one P in any business, any business is people. You don't build a business, you build people, and people build the business. So you have to have the right people in the right seat. The right people in the right seat. Many companies have the right people in the wrong seat. And then you need to ask who. Who in my office, who in my business opens the office? Who handles accounting? Who handles customer service issues? Who handles manufacturing who handles distribution? Who handles environmental issues? Who handles tax issues? Who, who, who? You need to put a name next to every who, and that name should never be yours. Now, I know when you're starting out, I get it. I used to clean the toilets. I used to mop the floors. I still do sometimes. <laughs> but I get it. When you're starting out, you are the who. But you want to develop a business that's not dependent upon you. You want to build a business that can operate without you. You don't want to build a job for yourself. You want to build a business that works for you instead of you working for it. So you need to determine what are the who's in your company and who is going to do other than you. Does that make sense? It does. I love that. And this part, you have teamwork makes the dream work. That quote is mentioned yeah. in there. I love that. I think it's just a great quote. And then, and then, you know, for your, for startups and for, for small business owners, don't think that it's so difficult to hire employees because it's not focus on your strengths, hire out your weaknesses. You can get interns. If you have a college around you, look, I have interns all the time coming in and out of here every year. I probably go through about 20 to, to maybe 50 interns. Some we hire, some we make permanent and they're great employees. I have four colleges around me so you can get interns. You can get 1099 contractors. You can figure it out, but you cannot do everything by yourself. Focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. Okay. So people is number one. Product is number two, which we already talked about. Mm -hmm. Number three is processes. Now processes are typically never developed in the beginning. Most business owners don't think about processes until they have to out of necessity because, oh, a client just got really, really mad and went and wrote a bunch of bad reviews on, on Google because your processes were not designed for the customer experience in mind. So processes should be developed from day one of starting your company and they need to be developed with the customer experience in mind. Think about your mission statement. Why are you in business? What is your objective? What are you trying to accomplish? I'm going to go back to McDonald's again <laughs> to the founder 
And the McDonald brothers, not Ray Crockett, not Ray Kroc, the McDonald's brothers themselves, when they developed McDonald's, it was back, I want to say, what, the 30s, the 40s, way back there. And back then, you only had like sonic type drive ups, right? Mm -hmm. Where waiters and waitresses would come out on roller skates. And the food was always cold, the order was always wrong, and it took forever. So McDonald's says, we want to change restaurant fast food. We want to change. We want to create fast food. We want to give you quality food that tastes great in a minute or less. And then they took all their employees to empty tennis court field and they had all their employees practice and rotate and draw out the processes. Who takes the order? Who toasts the bun? Who cooks the burgers? Who puts the two pickles on the bun? Who packages and gives it to the client? For the because what was their objective to deliver fast quality food in two minutes or less, right? So did they design the process with the customer experience in mind? Yes, and that's why wherever you go to McDonald's, if you go to McDonald's in Singapore or Russia or Sweden or U.S., the experience is the same. They might look a little different. But the experience is the same. So design your processes with the customer experience in mind and make sure they're productive, efficient, well-documented, and your employees are trained on all. That's good. I think this is one that many people getting started want to take shortcuts on because you just assume I can I can do the process later. When there's more of us, we can figure out the process. Right now, we're just too busy to focus on that. But really, getting this right from day one is going to give you a really good foundation to build a business upon. It is because otherwise, if you just focus on sales and you bring in so many clients, your your business is going to crumble because you don't yeah. have a solid foundation. So all the walls are going to cave in. So you have to build up that foundation. Um, so the, the fourth P is proprietary. Proprietary is the largest value driver there is, meaning that you can get the highest multiple on EBITDA if you build your proprietary. So there's six pillars to proprietary, six pillars. I don't know if I actually went into the whole six pillars in my book, Alex. So no, you didn't. Stay, stay tuned for a sequel. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the first pillar of proprietary is brand. The more well-branded your business is, as long as it's relevant in the mind of consumers, the more value it has. So what brand do you think is the biggest in the world? It would be Apple. You're right. $389 billion. That's just the brand. That is not assets. That's not inventory. That's not EBITDA. That's not real estate. That's only the brand is worth $389 billion. Coca-Cola brand is worth $89 billion. Build your brand, then you build your exit rich. Okay. Trademarks are another big value driver. When, you, when your listeners are going out to start a business that they're not going to buy a business, all business owners make this mistake. They go and they get a, fed, they get a state trademark. So they start a company name like Squadcast. <laughs> right. And they don't get a federal trademark. Guess what happens? They get a cease and desist letter one day in the mail. Then they got to spend thousands of dollars to fight it and they're going to lose. And then they're going to have to change their company name. I can't even tell you how many times this happens. So go get a federal trademark. It's not that expensive. Protect your company name. Also protect your slogan. You know, I, I have the six P's, the Solid Tucker six P's trademarked. I have the STGPS exit model trademark. Get trademarks. 
If you have some great ideas, get a patent. Everybody says, oh, a patent is not worth it. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I sold a company for $18 million that had 18 patents. So wow. yes, it is worth it. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is contracts. Contracts are very valuable in a sale of a business. Vendor contracts, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts. The most valuable are client contracts, client agreements. If a business has hundreds and hundreds of contracts, that's a lot of times reoccurring revenue or it's at least guaranteed revenue depending upon how the contract is written. The problem is that most business owners don't have that two-sentence transferability clause. So therefore, when it's time to sell your business, it's going to be an asset sale. 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales. So if your contracts are not transferable, the deal is not going to go through. Take the time now to get the two-sentence transferability clause and put those in your contracts. Um, the other valuable thing in IP, in proprietary, is databases. If you have, or you're start, starting to build a database, and that database can be retargeted and repurposed, businesses will pay you huge money for that. What, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. They were making zero, but they had a billion users. So WhatsApp was buying that synergy because they knew they could monetize. They knew they could get a return on their investment. Okay. And then the last thing in proprietary is let's say you have an e-commerce business and let's say you're selling pillows and you got number one on Wayfair. That is prime real estate that is very tough to get. And other home good companies will buy your business just because of that. Or let's say you're, you make a unique vacuum cleaner and you have a patent on it and you've cornered the market on, on this vacuum cleaner in Amazon. Or let's say you have a skincare product and you have celebrity endorsements on radio like Glenn Beck or Rush Lumbar or somebody like that that's endorsing your product. They can only take one skincare at a time. That's what we call valuable real estate in business. Okay. And then the fifth P is patrons. You want to make sure you have a customer you want to make sure you have customer diversification, not customer concentration. And if you've been in business for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you want to make sure your customers are not aging out. If they're aging out, you have to replace them. Okay. And then the last P is profits. So the most important P is profits. <laughs> you know, I actually have to mention that I found it interesting that you brought up profits as the sixth P instead of the first. Typically, when profits are talked about, it's the first thing that comes up, not the last. Why did you decide to talk about profits as the last P? Yeah, here's why. I'm so glad you asked me that question. Because profits are never the problem. Profits are never the problem. Profits are the symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. If you don't have the right people in the right seat, then you're going to lose profits. If the owner is doing everything themselves and can't handle the, the, um, you know, the demand from the, from the consumers, they're going to lose profits. If you're in a dying industry, if your product is dying, not thriving, if you got a Blockbuster not on Amazon, you're going to lose profits. If, you're, if your processes are pissing off clients, <laughs> alienating clients, then you're going to lose market share, which loses profits. If your um, processes are not productive and efficient, then it's going to cost you in profits. 
if your proprietary is not protected, if you have to spend thousands of dollars to protect your IP, it's going to cost you in profits. If you have customer concentration and 80% of your revenue comes from five clients and you lose two clients, you just lost profits. Profits is a symptom of all the other five Ps. It is never the problem. That's why I put it last. That actually makes a lot of sense. I'm really glad that you elaborated on that. And also, thank you for explaining the six Ps to the audience. I know that was very valuable for everyone to hear. You also have a third part of your book, which covers the actual sale of the business. We won't be getting into that today, but I'll have a link to the book in the show notes. So, Michelle, before we end today's episode, is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? Let me give you some encouragements. When I wrote Sell Your Business for in 2013, it's called Sell Your Business for Morning's Worth. In 2013, I did the research. And we all know this, about 85 to 95% of all startups would fail, right? We know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But the tides have turned. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and did the same research, I found out that only 30% of startups will go out of business now. Only 30% are at great risk. So for all your listeners, you're okay. Right. <laughs> That's great news. But here's a big difference. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. Those businesses... 70% are at risk for going out of business. So it flipped. Oh, wow. Now it's 70%. It used to be like, oh my gosh, I made it past five years. I'm golden, right? I'm never right. out of business. <laughs> no, now 70% of businesses have been in business over 10 years are going out of business. Now, why is that? You have to ask yourself, why is that? You hear about the big box stores. You heard about Toys R Us, Kmart, JCPenney, Montgomery Ward, GNC's closing down 900 locations. Steinmar, even Starbucks is in trouble now. Okay. Why is that? Because of AIM. AIM, business owners stop innovating and marketing. AIM, always innovate, always market. Always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. They stopped innovating. They stopped marketing. They became complacent. They were like Blockbuster. Blockbuster saw Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall, but they sat back fat and happy and did nothing. You can never take your customers for granted. Consumers buying habits have changed dramatically, and you can thank Amazon for that. Now you can buy anything on Amazon and have it delivered in two days. You can even buy a horse on Amazon. Okay? So business owners have to be more aggressive than ever before. We have to be more innovative than ever before because these companies have changed consumers' buying habits. And business owners stop asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them are the ones who are going to win. And that's why. So, so my advice to, to your listeners is align yourself with an expert. Don't try to do it all on your own. Get a mentor that's already been down your path because geniuses learn from other people's mistakes. So learn from their mistakes and your path will become so much shorter because you've aligned yourself with a mentor who's ever already done it. Don't, don't try to start something from fresh. And also make sure you, your idea is unique. Make sure you're just not putting another coffee shop up right. and there's going to be 10, 10 you know, 10 and a uh, half a mile radius. You know, make sure your, your idea is unique, but look around and see what's missing. You know, entrepreneurs solve problems. That's what we do. We're solution experts. That's what we are. Be, be a solution expert. Think about the client. Think about the customer. Put them way ahead of yourself and then you'll be successful. Michelle, you're brilliant. This was, this was great. You had so much wisdom to share with us today. I really appreciate this. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Alex. As soon as I finished this conversation with Michelle, I immediately took action on evaluating my own business against the six P's that she talked about during this episode. Although I don't plan on selling my business anytime soon, I want my business to be run in the best possible way and also positioned so I can exit rich one day. I encourage you to do the same thing for your business. Michelle was kind enough to offer us a few free resources to help us figure out how you can begin planning to exit rich. I'll have a link to those resources in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. Michelle, thank you again for being a guest and sharing your wisdom with us today. To pick up a copy of Michelle Seiler Tucker's book, Exit Rich, and to access the free resources that she's giving us, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 081. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.